0: Alrighty, we are reading from um, the book of Genesis. If you are using one of the black Bibles from the back, it's on page number one. We'll be skipping around a little bit, um, starting in chapter one, um, verses one through two, and then we'll start again in verse 31, and a few verses in chapter two. We are reading God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And we'll skip to verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Thank you. You may have a seat.
1: You got all those Cheerios picked up. Good job. I was going to crush them and grind them into the ground. Um, One of the things that I find really interesting, and I I don't know if you're like this, I I really like getting to know people Uh, sometimes. I mean, there's these moments where you're just like, I don't want to talk to anybody. But for the most part, I I get really interested in people. I think if people are made in God's image, they're fascinating. And, And what I find is that you can't really understand a person Unless you sort of understand some of their whole story, and particularly where they're from. And especially in a place like Phoenix, where I just saw the other day, uh, 72% of the greater Phoenix metro area did not grow up here. Which, that doesn't surprise us that much. I mean, when you ask somebody, hey, where are you from? You generally don't mean, like, are you from Mesa or Glendale? You mean, are you from Iowa or Minnesota, right? I mean, that's kind of what you mean. But when you start to get to know people and you ask them, where are you from? And what was your family like? You hear their whole story. You get to know them. It's the idea that if you're going to know a whole story in its entirety, you have to at least have the beginning, right? I don't know if you've ever gone to a movie late. You ever done that? Or you, or you turn on a movie that's on TV and you haven't seen it before. You go, oh, I've been wanting to see this, but it's like 15 minutes in and and you just spend the whole rest of the time asking questions and well who is that and how did this happen and did i miss something here and 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 you just can't understand the full story well what we're trying to do in this series called doctrine is to paint a picture of the full story of what the bible teaches ...about the world. What's true? And and that's what doctrine means. Doctrine means teaching or truth. It's instruction about what's true. This is covering over the course of this uh, summer the true story of the world. This is what's real. This is what's true. And yet most of us, when we think about our lives, we don't necessarily think from a beginning to end point of this whole story. And the reason for that is all that we know is a world that's broken by sin... A world that's filled with pain, a world that's filled with hurt and agony and death and tears. We live our lives and think primarily as though the story started in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is where Adam and Eve, they disobey. And yet the story doesn't start there, it starts in chapter 1. And in fact, that's why for this series, uh, we don't even get to the fall for another couple weeks, the fall into sin. We we don't get there for a while. First, we have to talk about God and who he is and how he reveals himself and how he creates. And next week, we talk about how we're made in God's image. And only then do we get to the fall. See, if we're going to understand who we are and who God's made us to be, we have to go back to the beginning. And that's what we look at today as we study creation, God makes creation. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, and uh, that's mostly where we'll be. And we're going to look at this and try to pull out just some real practical implications of this. We've said throughout this series that our goal here is not to try to... um, go into all the various proofs of these things or to provide an exhaustive study about how all these things work, but really to focus on implications. And I'm going to do that uh, quite a bit today, even more than I did at the first service. So the first sermon was pretty lousy, I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> like you have those days, right? Honey, how was it? Eh, what's for lunch? <laughs> I mean, that's, that was the first service. We're going to try to make it a little better today at the 1030, so be glad you came here, or or we'll just all go, come back next week, kind of thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm going with the ghost a little bit here, and a little bit on the fly. Uh, one thing I'll tell you is this is one of the most controversial passages in the Bible uh, as it relates to creation, and the arguments rage even today about how was the world created and was it six 24-hour days, or was it millions of years? Was there some kind of kind of evolutionary process? How did this all work? The debate rages. And the more scientific discovery there is, the more the debate rages. And what I, what I want to do just at the outset here today is to say, I'm not going to get into all that. If you want to know where I stand, I'm not even going to get into this much. If you want to know where I stand, I personally believe that God created everything in six 24-hour days. Uh, Not everybody, even that's part of our church leadership, would fully affirm or agree with that. So there's a variety of uh, perspectives on this among godly people, among people that love God's word and love God's son. And so for us, this is an open-handed issue, which doesn't mean we don't have a view or an opinion. It just means we don't hold on to it so tight that it becomes kind of the litmus test for for whether we can have fellowship together. So that's where my perspective is. Um, There's a lot of different resources and things you can look into that explain other perspectives. One of those resources is the doctrine book um, that we're making available. There's a brief outline of some of the other views and some of the other perspectives, and I would encourage you to to look at that uh, if you want to dig deeper into that. What I want to talk about is, is what was God after when he was communicating Genesis 1 to us. What's the point here? Because it doesn't seem that in Moses' mind, as Moses was writing, and anytime we study the Bible, what we're trying to do is go, what did the author intend to say to the people he was writing to? And I don't think in Moses' mind, it doesn't seem like the emphasis here was on how God created the world, but why. What are we to learn from this fact that God created the world and that he created it out of nothing? Moses doesn't get into all the details of how it happened, but there's some very important things he's trying to communicate. And you have to understand that the people he's writing to, at the moment he writes this, are coming out of Egypt, where there's all kinds of gods. And most of the gods are, are, are some sort of natural thing. So there's the sun god, and the moon god, and, and the, the god of the harvest, and the god of the rain. And, and we're, we've, you've heard of that sort of, like, like there's just a god for everything, kind of a polytheism sort of Approach to things. And they're going into a land in Canaan that has the same kind of approach. And so what, what Moses is trying to communicate to these people is, listen, all these other gods that all these other people are worshiping, there's one God, and he made all the things that are represented in all those other gods that people are falsely worshiping. There's one God. He created everything, and he deserves your full allegiance. That's the point. That's what Moses is trying to communicate. And that's what I want to have us get into here today. There's a lot of things you could see about this. You could see that God's preexistent. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You can see that God's powerful. Um, he's cre- he creates out of nothing. I mean, he didn't assemble stuff. He didn't go down to Home Depot and buy a universe starter kit. Which if he's anything like me, he'd have to go return then try to find another one, and then finally just call someone else to do it. <laughs> That's not what God's like. He's powerful, creates us out of nothing. He's purposeful. There's order. There's intentionality. He's personal. He creates these human beings in His image, and and He gets to know them, and He blesses them, and there's relationship there. There's a lot of different things that we could see about God and about who he is. But there's two main things that I think Genesis teaches us. If we're going to focus on implication and we're going to focus on what does this all mean for us, here's where I think we have to go. The first thing we have to see is this. God is authoritative over everything he's made. And therefore, everything and everyone should obey him. God is powerfully authoritative over everything that He's made, and therefore everything and everyone, you and me, should obey Him. Number of times throughout this passage, in fact, 10 times in this passage, it says, "God said." So in verse three, God said, "Let there be light." Verse six, God said, "Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters." Verse nine. God said, "Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together." So God's creative power happens through His authoritative word. The word of God is creating these things. He speaks these things, and they happen. Anybody here have the ability to do that? (laughs) Wouldn't you love it? I I got this kind of twenty-four hour. I don't know what it was. I I, some kind of I don't know flu or I don't know what. I, I didn't get congested. My throat didn't hurt. But my whole body was just racked with aches and fever. And I was sitting the other day waiting for a ride home because my car was getting the AC worked on. And and I'm waiting for a ride and I'm outside Chick-fil-A in, you know, at like one in the afternoon in a hooded sweatshirt shaking. Right? I mean, you've ever felt like that? And at that moment, you're just going like, if I could just say the word, right? I mean, at that moment, I was just saying like, please get here soon. Please get here soon. (laughs) Please come pick me up soon. But if I could have just said the word and been better, like, wow, I mean, that, that would have been great. And there's all kinds of times in our lives, that's a kind of a silly example, where if you could just make something happen with your words, you would, you would do it. I was talking with our daughters about this today, and one of them, I said, if you could just create anything with just a word, what would it be? And one said, stuffed French toast. <laughs> not bad. A little shallow, but not bad. But none of us have that authority. None of us have that ability. But God does. God said, it says 10 times, and, and then oftentimes it's followed by the phrase, and it was so, and it was so. In, in the end of verse seven, it says, and it was so. End of verse nine, and it was so. And of verse 15, and it was so. And of verse 24, and it was so. I mean, so God said, let this happen, and it was so. Everything, we have to see, obeyed God. Obeyed his powerful Word. And God always creates through His Word. The Scripture in John 1 tells us that the Word of God, this eternally existent Word that was God and was with God and that created all things is in fact Jesus Christ. So God the Father creating with God the Son His Word. Let it be and it was so. And yet there's all kinds of things that God says To humanity. All these things that God says to me. All these things that God says to you. Do this. This is best for you. Here's what I expect. And it's not so. There's a disgusting irony when you read these first few chapters of Genesis. God tells the light. Let there be light. It is. He commands the the earth, and he commands the dry land, and he commands the animals, and he commands the planets. And then in chapter 3, he commands the people. Not so much. I know we're skipping ahead a couple of weeks. But if we want to talk practical of what's the implication that God created everything, here's the implication. God has full authority over every part of your life. There's not a single part of your life and mine that God doesn't have the right to say, that's mine. He created you. He created this world. And so he deserves all of our allegiance, all of our obedience, all of our surrender. He deserves that. And yet so often we don't give it to him, do we? Now listen, to be sure We're always obeying somebody or something. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You love one and hate the other. You're always a servant. You're never the master. And there's always some voice communicating to you what matters and what you should do and what's important. Maybe it's the voice of a family member heaping some kind of expectations on you. And you go, you know what, God? I'll get to you later. i got to please this person. Maybe it's the voice of a never-satisfied consumer culture. You've got to have more. You'll never be happy. And you go, God, I, I know your word says this, but I'm going to listen to this voice now. Maybe it's just the voices in your own heart of these idols, these little gods that don't deserve to have the authority to speak into your life, but you've given it to them. And they're telling you, no matter what, pursue your comfort. No matter what, pursue security. No matter what, be in control. You know best. And You obey those voices. And I obey those voices. We all do. And yet just because we all struggle with it doesn't mean it's right. The implication is that if God created everything, he deserves our full allegiance. Anybody feel like you've given that to him? This week? How about today? If you have, please don't admit it. (laughs) Because you're probably lying. We haven't. There's only one person that ever has, and so that takes us to some good news, right? I mean, I don't just want to, great, come to church, get the crud kicked out of me. Have a great week. In fact, some of you really like that. Like, you feel like it wasn't a good church service unless you leave feeling really guilty. I don't know if you grew up Catholic or what, but like, pastor, that was so convicting. Well, that's not the entire point. The point is to get you to look to the good news. Now, listen, there is good news. The good news is that there's one person who did fully surrender himself completely and entirely and always to the words of his father. And that's Jesus Christ. He's the only one. This was what drove Jesus. This is what fueled Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 4, Jesus says this incredible statement. He says, verse 34, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, that strikes home for me because I like food. Food is great. I mean, there's a reason a daughter of mine would say, Stuffed French toast is what I want. We like food in our house, and there's something about food, isn't there? That like when you don't have it, when you're hungry for it, it's just like you just want it so bad, and and it, and it makes you grouchy if you don't. And, and then if it's like not good food, I mean we're so spoiled. You're like this was a little overcooked, and I don't really, you know, like that's a total like first world problem. Um, but 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 there's this sense in which food satisfies and it fuels and it nourishes. And you crave it and you desire it. And here's what Jesus says. My food, the thing that just fuels me, the thing that strengthens me, the things that brings me joy more than anything, it's to do the will of him who sent me. My fuel, my food is to obey my father. Aren't you glad Jesus was like that? We're not. We ought to be, but we're not. Jesus says the same exact kind of thing later in John chapter 6, verse 38. He says, for I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He says in John 14, 31, The world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Listen, this is good news. Jesus has obeyed perfectly in your place. And again, the point of coming to church is not to just get in here and go, "Now God says you ought to obey. Get out there and obey." Because we could like reconvene in a couple hours and then share all the stories about how we lost our temper and we got impatient, and we lusted, we were greedy and we were envious and we were bitter, and I mean, we, right? So our only hope is to look to Jesus who the scripture calls a savior. And when we think of savior, we typically only think of that being the idea that Jesus died to forgive us of our sins. And to be sure, Jesus did that. When Jesus went to the cross, all of our sin was placed on him. As the innocent one, he died the death that we deserve to die. But but here's the other part of the story, and it gets often forgotten even by those who say they're followers of Jesus, is all of our sin was placed on him, but all of his obedience was placed on us. It's a great exchange. See, God doesn't just wipe the slate clean and say, get to work. No, he credits Jesus' righteousness to you. You get it, On your account. And then he transforms your heart in such a way that you want to obey him, that you desire to do him, that increasingly the desire of your heart, the food for your soul is to obey him. And so when you find yourself in a place today where you go, okay, here's an area of of my life where I'm not listening to God's voice, I'm listening to the culture's voice, or I'm listening to a a parent's voice or I'm listening to a boss's voice or I'm listening to the own idolatrous voice in my own heart the answer is look again or for the first time look to Jesus place your trust in him go to him and say Lord Jesus only you have lived perfectly obedient to the authoritative commands of the father I'm going to place my hope and my trust in you. That's where you have to go. That's our only hope. But isn't that good news? That you don't stand before the Lord just on the basis of your own works and what you haven't done, but you could go before God confident and bold and joyful, accepted in him because what Jesus has done. Wanting to obey. Obeying not because you have to, but because you get to. Obeying not to be accepted, but because you already are. That's what this is about. God's authoritative over everything he's made. We should submit and obey him. And we can do it only through Jesus. Then here's the second thing that this whole thing tells us. And this just flows right out of the first. Is that God loves and cares for his creation. He says in verse 26. Then God said let us make man in our image. After our likeness. There's a similarity between God. And his human creatures. And only humans are called the image of God. We'll talk about this more next week. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. This is what God's doing. God is creating them. He's giving them his own likeness. And then he's saying, the world is your playground. Go fill it. Go subdue it. Go represent me. Go have a ball. And by chapter three, they've turned their backs on him. But God is personal. God wants to know the people he's created. And because of our sin, one of the things we'll see in chapter three when we study the fall is that our sin alienates us from God. It pushes us away from him. And only in Jesus Christ are we allowed back in to have access to him. Because of Jesus' perfect obedience, God doesn't have to crush him again, but instead he's crushed him on the basis of our sin and we have his righteousness and now we are welcomed into his family. We are his friends, he says. Here's what he says in John chapter 15. He says, this is my commandment. You love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life For his friends. That's what Jesus is doing. He's laying his life down for friends. People he loves. People he cares about. It's not some distant thing. This is friendship. It's the language Jesus uses. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Jesus is offering in the gospel friendship so that the alienation that we feel from God because of our lack of obedience to him can be restored so that we can have reconciliation with God. One of my favorite pictures of the gospel is that when Jesus Christ died, there was a curtain in the temple that was torn in two. And that curtain separated The holy place in the temple from the most holy place. The most holy place, which represented the place where God dwelt. Only the high priest could go there, and only once a year. And when Jesus Christ died, the gospel writers record that the temple curtain was torn in two symbolizing there's access to God, there's relationship with God, even though you've walked away from him, even though you've abandoned, even though you haven't obeyed, even though you've listened to other voices. Jesus Christ, with his perfectly obedient life and his loving, sacrificial, no love could be better than this, death, to give you access to and relationship with Even creation, with God's authoritative words and God's personal care, communicates to us our need for Jesus. Listen, no matter how hard you just try to be better, no matter how hard you go, I'm going to buckle up and try to do it, you you won't be. You need God to change your desires. And the only thing that will change your desires so that your food becomes to obey him is if your heart is melted by Jesus and what he's done. So I want to pray now. Let's go to the Lord and let's seek him. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it shapes and renews us. And Lord, we we look now to Jesus. God, all of us, as we pause and reflect in any way, we, we realize the guilt of our disobedience, the guilt of our living for ourselves and our pride and our foolishness. And, God, we, uh, we need forgiveness. We don't just need to be forgiven of sin. We need to be credited with righteousness. And we're, we receive that gift in Jesus. And so, Jesus, we come to you today. And we, we delight and we rejoice in the fact that you have given us your righteousness. You have died in our place. And you've given us access to your Father. F- Father, a lot of us would give lip service to that idea that, yes, we got to know you personally, and this isn't about religion, it's about relationship. And yet, Father, so many of us, as you know, function as if we believe it's religion. We believe that if we obey, we'll be accepted. We, we ignore the gospel that tells us that we're accepted in Christ, and therefore we obey. And so, Father, reorient our hearts even this moment. Allow us to repent even of the good things that we do for wrong reasons. Draw us to your son. Make him the hero of our lives every moment as we look to him. And we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to respond now. Uh, We're going to respond a couple of different ways. Um, One is by singing. Just singing out and celebrating the greatness and the goodness of God. I'd invite you to join in as as much as you can. We are a people of the gospel, a people of good news, which means there's much to celebrate and rejoice in. So please join us in singing. Also, grab the white connection card that you filled out earlier and uh, maybe finish filling that out if you haven't yet. If you would, on the back, we would love to pray for you. And On the back, you can write some prayer requests, anything that you'd like us to know about, we can be praying. And then just drop those uh, cards on these... uh, in the baskets on the communion tables or in the uh, mailboxes in the back. You can respond that way. Uh, We would also invite you to receive personal prayer. So not just to write out prayer requests but to actually be prayed for here now today. The scripture tells us there's power when people will pray for us. And so there's a team of people over your right shoulder in the back corner. Um, They've been trained. They have a heart for this. They love to care for people through prayer. And so they would love to pray for you. Please go back there at any point the rest of the gathering and and let them pray for you. Um, We also want to respond through communion, the Lord's Supper. Um, Jesus has given us these very vibrant and important symbols of his love for us, the bread which represents his body. We should hunger for him like we hunger for bread. And the cup representing his blood that he gave to forgive us, that he poured out on the cross to cleanse us of our sin. And so we eat and drink those not because there's any inherent value in the bread or in the cup, but because they point us to and remind us of and give us a taste in our mouth of the sweetness of what it is to know Jesus. And so if you're a follower of Christ, we invite you to celebrate communion here with us this morning uh, we, we, now that we have our own facility we have an opportunity to do communion a variety of ways and so last week we passed it um, this week we're going to invite you to respond personally by coming up to the table and receiving the elements um, if you're a follower of Christ we would invite you to do that if you're here and you're not yet a Christian or you're, you're not sure what this all means um, don't feel any pressure or obligation we actually prefer for you to not take communion unless you understand uh, what you're doing and why it's significant um, but for those of you who want to celebrate it, we would love for you to do so. And so what we would ask you to do is just um, come up to the table through kind of the middle aisles, go up and then go back kind of around the outside edges. You can go in the hallways, you can sit at your uh, chair. If there's somewhere else you want to move and you want to pray uh, by yourself or with somebody or with a family member or a friend or someone in your community, we would love for you to do that um, and just take communion on your own. Um, as we respond, both going to seek prayer and and responding with communion the band will come up and they'll begin to play and uh, let's just join in in this whole responsive time of what God has done and celebrate uh, who he is so let me pray one more time and then you're free to respond uh, whenever you feel led father uh, thank you again for these great gifts thank you for the ability to respond in tangible ways help us to do that now in a way that gives you much glory and us great joy We pray that in Jesus' name.